love it when there's an entire weekend where we're celebrating women. And so that's kind of where I'm going to go this morning. But I don't want the guys to tune me out because I feel like God has something for you too. And this is why I think so. I've gotten several texts after I preached and they've all been from guys. <laughs> like, so don't tune me out today. If you would, all of you, turn in your Bibles to Genesis 1:27. We're going to start in the first book of the Bible because I think that God, um, ha- his first thoughts are so important. And so we're going to start at that very first book of what were God's thoughts during creation. And while you turn there, I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you that you have been with us this weekend, God. Your power has been here Your presence has been here, God, and as we just navigate through your word today, we pray that you would speak, God, that you would just speak through me all that you have to say. You have so much, you know, heaven has so much to say, and it's so much better good news than we hear on the earth. And so today we pray, heaven, you speak, God, you speak, have your way in hearts, heal, bring freedom, bring strength bring reconciliation, all the things that you do, God. We pray you do them all in the service, this last service of Mother's Day weekend. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to read in Genesis 1.27. I think it's going to pop up there on the screen. And it says that, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And I've been reading the Bible seriously for about 30 years, and I just love it. People that say, I've already read the Bible, I'm going on to some other studies, I'm like, you're missing out. Because every time we grow a little or we have a new encounter, the Word of God becomes different to us and speaks to us in a different way. So I was looking at Genesis 1:27 with fresh eyes as I was preparing for this message. And I was struck by something for the first time, probably, that it's repetitive, It's like God is saying the same thing three different times. That's pretty amazing to me. God, why would you say the same thing three times? I think he was trying to get our attention. You know how we can read the Bible and you try to get your Bible reading plan in for the day, hurry, hurry, hurry before work because you woke up late, right? Or cramming it or listening to it on the radio on the way to work. And I think he wants us to kind of say lie in this moment to stop and look at this. This is important to him, so he mentions it three times. And the meaning of the number three actually means divine wholeness, perfection, completion. Think about it, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus in the grave, one, two, three days. Three is a big number in the Bible. And I thought, I wonder if there are other places in the Bible where God repeats himself three times. And sure enough, there are. So if you want to turn with me, the first one is in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. And I'm, I'm a writer, and I love stories, so the Bible is just fascinating to me with all the stories that it represents. But this, so I'm going to kind of set the, the, the setting of what's going on in the story. It's Jesus by the Sea of Galilee. Anybody been to Israel? The Sea of Galilee is magnificent. It is It is super awesome. So Jesus is sitting there by the sea, and he's building a fire. It's morning, and he's going to have breakfast with his disciples. This is after he's died on the cross, and he's resurrected. So it's a resurrected Lord. He's sitting on the beach. And it's interesting, the Bible says this is the third time that Jesus had appeared to the disciples. 
You know nothing's by accident in the Bible, right? Nothing's coincidental. Every sign means something. Every symbol means something. Every number means something. That's why it's so much fun to just dig and learn in the Word of God. So he's revealing himself for the third time to his disciples. And he's making breakfast, and the disciples come, and they're just so happy to be with Jesus again. And Jesus starts in with some casual conversation. And he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And then the conversation goes from casual to a little bit more serious because Jesus asked Peter again, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus repeats himself again, then feed my sheep. And then it says that Peter was actually grieved of heart Because Jesus asked him for the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And for the third time, Jesus said, then feed my sheep. And the thought that he said something three times to really get it into the heart of his disciples, that a way that we can love Jesus the best is to care for one another, to care for his sheep. That's how we show Jesus' love. And it was just a Selah moment for all the disciples before Jesus went up to heaven that they would know how they could show Jesus' love and show the love of Jesus is to feed his sheep. Three times Jesus says this to him, And we see again in Acts chapter 10, if you want to turn there real quick, in verses 13 through 15, another story of God speaking three times. And so the setting in this story is in Israel again. And it's in the city of Joppa, which is modern-day Jaffa. And Peter's sitting up on this roof, and it's noontime. He's hungry. He's probably ready to eat lunch, waiting for lunch. And it says that he falls into kind of like a trance-like state, and he has a vision. And a sheet comes down from heaven, and it's full of clawed animals and birds, which would be considered unclean, unclean animals that Jewish people didn't eat. So I'm sure Peter's already perplexed, like, what is this unclean business coming down from heaven, and i got to make sure I don't touch it. And he hears the voice of God as the sheet's coming down, and the voice of God says, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. That's pretty radical. So Peter's like, no, Lord, you know that I've never touched anything unclean to my mouth. And God repeats himself again, rise, kill, and eat, Peter. And he said, do not call unclean what I have cleansed. And then it says it happened a third time. God was trying to get a point across to Peter. And what's so amazing about the magnificence of God's thoughts is it was kind of like a parable form that he was putting something in the heart of Peter. Don't call unclean what I've called clean. And he used these food, these food animals. But as soon as he said it for the third time, there was a knock on the door. And as Peter's walking down the stairs to answer the door, God says one more thing to him. Peter, go with them and don't doubt anything. So Peter answers the door. How many guys do you think are at the door just because of the nature of what we're talking about? Three Three guys. It's so amazing. I'm like, God, you're so funny. You're so awesome. You're so smart. I love that you're doing this. Three guys at the door. And they're not just any guys. They're Roman Gentiles considered unclean to Jewish people. And so they asked Peter, hey, will you come with us? I don't think Peter would have normally gone, 
that God has talked to him three times about not calling unclean what he's called clean. And so Peter goes with them. They go to a house in the city, and the house is full of Gentiles. And you know what happens? Peter preaches the gospel to them for the first time. They had never been privy to the gospel because it was only for the Jews. It wasn't for the Gentiles. So all these Gentiles are hearing the gospel for the first time. You know who shows up when the gospel is being preached? Holy Ghost. Everybody in the room is filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone in the room is water baptized. And for the first time, the Gentiles are invited in to the good news of Jesus Christ. Amazing. And so I'm thinking about these three different situations where God repeated himself three times. That this was a very, these three things were so important to God. Preaching the gospel to everyone, that the gospel will be made available to everyone, making sure, sure we take care of his sheep, and the thought that male and female were made in his image. Is that hitting you guys like it hit me? Like it's as big a deal to God as the gospel. And I'm thinking, that makes so much sense that we would bypass that thinking, duh, male, female, that's just how it is but not know the significance, because God knows all things, of the confusion that would come in in the area of gender. There's gender confusion right now. There's gender fluidity. There's people don't know if they're male or female. And it was so important in the heart and mind of God that he mentioned it first in the Bible. You know why it's so vital? Because it's both male and female that fully represent his glory on the earth. Without, without the male and the female knowing exactly who they are and walking in that, his full glory won't be revealed on the earth. And I was thinking of something. If you want to turn with me to Genesis uh, chapter 3 and verse 1, this is just really significant, guys, that our gender was never meant to reveal who we are. It was meant to reveal who he is. That's what gender was originated for in Genesis 1.27. And I know the enemy likes to get in there. He's the, the Bible says he's the author of confusion. So he likes to confuse the things that are the most important to God. If you see things that are important to God, you know that the devil's going to be right behind trying to cause confusion. And I just for a moment, I want to show you the original way that he tried to bring confusion. And it just illuminates all the other things that are going on in our society. It's in Genesis 3 and verse 1. And it says, now the the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it lest you die. The serpent said, no, you will not surely die. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be just like him. The original temptation was that you don't have to settle to be a son or a daughter. You can be just like him. You can be equal with God. You can call the shots. So the original temptation just happens again and again in each generation. He's the same devil, doesn't have a lot of new tricks. He's not very creative. And so this original thought that we can be just like God, and he just gets furious when we don't fall for it. Because he fell for it. That's why he says he fell like lightning from heaven. Because he wanted to be like God. He was not satisfied to be a son of God. And he can't believe that we keep resisting him. Saying, no, we're going to keep God on the throne. I want to be a son and daughter of God. How about you? I don't want to be God. I don't want to call the shots. And it just infuriates the enemy when we won't fall for it. 
I think the other thing the enemy tries to get in there with division is actually causing competition between these two images that he created. The friction and the division you see between male and female. It's almost like he wants to cause a competition between us instead of the complement that God designed us to be. There's a special way, and we're going to look at this in a minute. There is an amazingly special creative way that he formed men and a super amazing special way that he formed women. I know you guys are like, well, you say that because you're a woman. Just wait. Wait till you see what I've dug up in the Word. But he tries to cause this friction between us so that we don't, see, if we're not working together, if we're not coinciding with each other and we understand the part that the female represents in the male, then the fullness of God is not represented. Are you getting an idea of the enemy's tricks? I mean, come on, we're on to him, right? We're getting the revelation of what he's doing here. And so let's look at this. Let's look at God's original design for men and women. It's right here. It's in in Genesis chapter 2. And I'm going to start reading in verse 7. And we're going to talk about guys first. And remember I said that first mentions are so important to God. So guys, you're amazing. You're super important to God. He thought of you first. Why don't you ladies turn to a guy near you and say, you are amazing. And how about turn to the other one and go, God thought of you first. You guys almost feel like it's Father's Day, right? And so we read that the formation of guys is that the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils and the man became a living being. Guys, I think we have a picture. You were made from dirt, dust, dirt. (laughs) That's why I said all the awesome stuff at first because it didn't sound really good coming out like, but hey, Topher preached an awesome message, dirt don't hurt, right? Dirt is good. Let me tell you how important dirt is. Well, it's this earthy, organic material. It's what the whole world was created out of. But just think of the nature of soil, you gardeners. Where would our fruits and vegetables be? Where would our flowers be? I know a lot of you mamas are going to be planting this weekend flowers. And I love that word, the amber gate. Was that just a beautiful prophetic word? Oh, so beautiful. But soil is so important for these things. I think about the nature of men with the idea of soil is that soil causes things to grow. You guys grow things. Soil causes things to produce Don't you just see that in the nature of a man? I mean, I see these guys that are just building these big corporations and able to do like, some of the guys in our church, I don't even know what they do. They do so many different things. I'm like, I'm just gonna call you an entrepreneur. I don't even get what you do, but you produce, bro. You're growing something. But guys, you're just amazing. Actually, the word Adam in Hebrew is Adamah, and it means to take a substance and shape something into it. And that's what God did with you guys. He just took this earthy, rich, organic soil, and he formed awesome you. And we're so glad. And then when God's looking at you, he's like, you know, it just doesn't feel like it's enough just to have man. So he says in verse 18, then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. Can I get an amen from the guys? It is not good. To be alone, especially the single brothers. How many single brothers in the house? None? One? Two? Okay. We have way more single guys in the church than that. Or three? Oh, so maybe you didn't come to church this weekend because it's... Okay. Thank you for coming to church, Matt. Lord Jesus, give him his helper. Bless him for coming to church. 
he said, it's not good for man to be alone, so I'm going to make a helper comparable to him. Check it out. Check out that word. The definition of comparable is similar, equivalent, corresponding, parallel. I'm going to make a, a helper that can stand side by side, equal, equally representing who I am together. That's such a beautiful thing. So what we're moving into here now is the formation of Eve. And my storytelling mind is going nuts thinking about this story. And it says this in verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man. And he slept, while he slept, God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. I have got this picture in my head that I am just going to story tell out for you today. God puts Adam to sleep. He goes away into a part of the garden because he is getting ready to create his masterpiece. <laughs> he takes this rib out of Adam. And first, I got one question. Why the rib, God? Why not the leg bone? Why not the arm bone? Why not the jaw bone? We like to talk, right? Shouldn't we have been made out of a jaw bone? <laughs> Bones are amazing, by the way. They're not dead, dry things that you might think of. They're full of red and white blood cells. They're full of collagen. Anybody had a broken bone? It, it, the bones have the ability to heal themselves from fractures and breaks. Bones are amazing. But a rib bone is super amazing. Do you have a picture of that? Ladies, this is what you were made of. <laughs> Check out the curve on that thing. <laughs> God is brilliant. He's amazing. He is so smart. I needed to not ask the question why it was a rib bone. And so God makes Eve out of this rib bone. Let me tell you something about a rib bone. It's the only bone in the human body that has the ability to regenerate. It can grow back. That's amazing. And so guys, if you've heard the old wives tale that you're missing a rib because of us, it's not true. It's not true. God is so amazing. He chose a bone that can grow back. And he chose this bone in particular because of its life-giving, regenerating quality that he put into each one of you ladies. That's what he made you out of. It's absolutely amazing the way he created you. And so he takes this Eve that he's created out of this rib bone, and he goes to Adam, and he's kind of like, wake up, Adam. I have a surprise. <laughs> and Adam wakes up, and God, I can just imagine, was kind of like this. Ta-da! Look what I made. Isn't it amazing? You're welcome. God made Eve. And I love that idea. It says that he presented her to him. It was this amazing moment where God was revealing his full glory in both male and female. And all the intention that he had for males and females in that moment is amazing. It reminds me, this, this whole idea, actually the word Eve in Hebrew is the word chawa, and it means to bring life. 
And it, uh, it's, it illuminates a lot of scriptures I'm going to share with you today. The first one being in Judges chapter 5 and verse 7. If you want to turn there with me real quick, I think it'll take on some new meaning as we're talking about how Eve was created with a rib bone and how God put life inside of her. Judges 5, 7 says that village life ceased. It ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. And I just want to take a moment for you women in the house who are not biological moms. I know Mother's Day can be difficult. Don't tune me out. Because Judges 5 says nothing about Deborah being a biological mother. It doesn't say anything about her having children. It doesn't say she was a mother to her offspring. It says that she was a mother to a nation. That's what God's put inside of women. The ability to bring life into cities, the ability to nurture and comfort and build. This is just in the heart and mind of God for women in Judges 5-7. Besides the fact that he created us, and, and we do, we give birth to babies. I mean, that is amazing. You, uh, my, my daughter's going to have a baby in November, and we're just amazed. Every, <gasps> every time we get a new ultrasound, we're like, oh my gosh, God, you're amazing. Got a picture the other day of our little grandbaby's profile. It's so cute. Got a little tummy like this, like kind of like mine. But anyway, I think I'm gaining sympathy weight for you, Jamie. I don't. Was I thought the guys were supposed to gain that? And in Jesus' name, we just give this over to Topher. He could use it a lot more than me, right? But this idea of the life that God's put in a woman far extends biological. It far extends even the natural that we bring life to a city. It extends all the way into God created us to carry the life of Christ to people. And I want you to go with me for a minute. In particular, women, what he designed us for. Turn to John chapter 20. And in the story is that Jesus has died on the cross. He's in the tomb. And it says that Peter and the disciple that Jesus loved, which a lot of people say is John, but we all know that if we lived in those days, we would say it was us, right? I, I went to a memorial recently, and it was so cool. All this guy that had passed away early, very tragic. Each friend that got up, there was like six friends, and they all said, I was Ryan's best friend. It was so amazing. And it's, that's what we, we can all say that about Jesus, right? I'm Jesus. I'm the disciple Jesus loves. So Peter and the disciple that Jesus loves, they go to the tomb, and when they get there, they're totally freaked out because the stones rolled away and they look inside and all the linen is in there, but Jesus isn't. And so they go back to the disciples and you think maybe they're going to get the rest of the posse, right? Mm -mm. They get one other person, Mary. They bring a woman back with them. And so Mary, Peter, and this other disciple are at the tomb and they're looking inside and they're trying to figure stuff out. They can't. And I love this about guys. Guys are super practical. They're like, well, he's not here. So they're like, we're out of here, right? <laughs> but Mary remains. She stays. She lingers. And guess what happens? Jesus shows up. She doesn't recognize him at first. A man walks in, and she thinks he's the gardener. But it just takes one thing. It just takes Jesus saying her name, Mary. And she knows it's her resurrected king. And she has this encounter with him in this exchange. And I even felt as I was preparing for this message that God wants to encounter some of you like that for the first time or afresh. He wants to whisper your name. 
and he wants to have an encounter with you, and he wants to reveal himself to you. There's so much multifaceted amazingness about the Lord that he wants to reveal to you. So don't think it's just like a one deposit time, like I prayed one time this week, or you know, I read my Bible, but he wants to encounter you afresh, speaking your name, speaking tenderly to your heart. I feel like he wants to do that just like he did for Mary. He chose Mary to reveal himself for the first time as a resurrected Lord. He trusted that Mary would have faith to believe that it was actually him. Can you imagine going to a tomb and seeing someone and them saying they're the resurrected Lord and, and you believing that? But Mary had the faith and he knew she'd have the faith, but not just that, he knew that she would carry that life-giving message back. And she did. He chose wisely. Mary went back, and the first thing she said is, I have seen the Lord. And the disciples believed her. I imagine there was something on her face from having been in an encounter with Jesus. And it was just this beautiful moment. And I was thinking, I wonder if Peter and the other disciple were like, what the heck? We were just there. Total FOMO. How did I miss this? We leave, and Jesus shows up. And I wonder, were they shocked or were they not? That maybe they were used to Jesus showing up this way for women. And I'm thinking the latter is true just because of an exchange back. If you go back in your Bibles, just a few chapters to John chapter 4, Jesus has another exchange with a woman at the well. And the story setting there is that Jesus and his disciples are walking through a region of Samaria and they come to a well. And they're tired. It's 6 o'clock at night. They're hungry. And Jesus decides to sit at the well, and he tells his disciples, why don't you go into town and get us some food? And just kind of studying the distance from the well to the town, it probably would have taken them about 20 minutes to walk there and 20 minutes back and maybe some time even to get the food while they're there. And so if Jesus was really hungry, don't you think he would have gone with them? He could have eaten like 20 minutes earlier. But the food was secondary. He's kind of just like, hey, guys, go, go ahead. Go, 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 go. I have something in mind that I want to do. I have an encounter. I have someone wait, that's going to be waiting for me. Now, the woman didn't know that she was going to be coming upon this, but Jesus knew all along. He chose this in particular. And so here comes this woman at the well, 6 o'clock at night, and God begins to have, Jesus begins to have this exchange with her. And for the first time, he reveals that he's the Messiah. He had never told anyone that yet. She's talking. She's talking about this Messiah that is to come, and he's going to be all these things. And he says to her, it is me. I'm the one. I'm the Messiah. In that moment, revealing for, to her for the first time that he is the Messiah. What a moment for this woman to get to see him, to have this encounter with him. And it says that in verse 39 that she goes back to her town, and it says this, that many Samaritans believed because of what the woman testified, what she said. So I'm kind of wondering now, so Jesus had told this woman at the well, it wasn't just that she was a woman, it was that she was a Samaritan woman. They were considered unclean at the time. And not just a woman and a Samaritan, but that we read in the story that she was married five times and that she was currently with a guy that wasn't her husband. And so I'm just thinking there's a reason why she was at the well at 6 o'clock at night when no one else was there. She probably wasn't well regarded in her city. She thought she was going to go and get the water and be alone because maybe there was some judgment on her in the city. 
the same woman that probably didn't have a good reputation goes back and shares that she's seen the resurrected Messiah, or the, the Messiah for the first time that the Messiah is here. And it says that people believed her, people that had probably judged her earlier, people that didn't think very highly of her. I think there was such an anointing from the encounter she had with Jesus that it kind of pushed away any judgment or any way that they had been looking at her. And they absolutely just believed because of the faith that was inside of her and because of the testimony of her lips. I uh, recently, on Easter, I saw the movie Breakthrough. Has anybody seen that movie? It is so good. I'm so surprised by how few people have seen that movie. It is so good. So a little spoiler alert. I'm going to tell you some of it. I won't tell you all of it, and you should see it. So the Breakthrough, this movie is about a young boy who dies, tragically, and a doctor that is furiously trying to save his life. This, this doctor is the best in his field. He was trying everything he could to get this boy breathing again. And then the mom comes on the scene. She finds out that this has happened to her son, and she gets to the hospital, gets rushed into the emergency room, and this woman starts praying over her son. Like, you, there's this picture of all the staff, nurses, and doctors outside kind of like, woo, okay, we have all this medical equipment, and that woman's just in there just praying over her son. And I just, it struck me as I was studying for this word, I would hear and see certain things that would catch my eye. And this thing caught my eye in particular because this doctor who was such a professional, so the best in his field, he scribbled some medical notes at the end of the movie that go up on the screen. And this, these were his medical notes. It says, patient died, mother prayed, patient came back to life. Nothing that he did. This was the power of a praying mom, which is just so phenomenal, what's inside, what's inside of the heart of a mother and a woman. One of my favorite scriptures about how God sees us as women and really an illumination into our highest calling is Psalm 68:11. It says, and the Lord gave the command, and it was a great company of women who brought the good news. God designed us to be carriers of good news. And I would, just, I would just challenge every woman in this room that we would be ones that would change the tide of the black cloud of gossip that's usually associated with women. It's not what we were called to. And we can change the tide of that if we would be bearers of good news, sharing the truth and the life and everything God created us for, that that's what we'd be known for, that we would walk in our highest calling as women. In fact, if I were to uh, reword Judges 5 just for a minute and put different names rather than Deborah's name in there, I could say village life ceased until Lisa rose up, a mother in Coeur d'Alene. That city life ceased until Esther and Andi arose, mothers in Post Falls. Until um, city life ceased and villages were deserted until Risha rose up, a mother in Hayden. That's what God's put inside of us. I have heard stories of Mothers, I was going to say something that I shouldn't, and I'm so glad I didn't. A really cool strengthened moms. I don't know if anybody knows what's up there already. Say, okay, and they move, and moms and grandmas move into these areas, these neighborhoods where there's like gangsters and crime, and they just kind of set up camp. They just get a house, and they just start doing what mamas do. They start loving on these people, and they start cooking them meals and inviting them to their home, and the crime rate changing. 
and anger leaving, just the power of the life, the, the nurturing ability, the comfort that's inside of a mother, inside of a woman. Um, last month, I was watching, it's funny, Rose was talking about that she was at this country music festival. My husband and I were like, how come we didn't know about that? I was watching the country music award ceremonies. Is anybody judging me right now? Anybody like country music? Hey, this is the biggest crowd of country music lovers. I, born and raised Idaho right here. You cannot take Idaho out of me. I've tried every other genre. Keep coming back to country music. So I'm watching the country music awards and a band gets up to sing their new song. It was Little Big Town. And their new song is The Daughters. Anybody heard that? And I, oh, okay. Well, I won't tell Little Big Town that nobody has heard their new song. And so they're performing this new song, and I'm like, wow, this is beautiful. You know, I really like the type of music. And, and all of a sudden, it gets to the chorus, and I get tears in my eyes. And I'm like, honey, did they just say what I thought they just sang? The chorus goes, I've heard of God the Son and God the Father. I'm just looking for a God for the daughters. And it made me sad. I was like, wow, is that what women think? that God isn't for his daughters, that there isn't a God for the daughters. But it's not right. Sometimes as men and women, we get it wrong. But God never gets it wrong. He loves his daughters. And it's sprinkled all throughout the word of how much he loves his daughters. So if I were to answer that question, I'm just looking for a God for the daughters. Where is he? He's right here. If we read, it's all over how much he mentions his daughters. He loves them so much. He's right here in our hearts for those who have asked Jesus into their heart. He's in there. And if you haven't yet, you're going to get an opportunity today to know this resurrected king that wants to encounter you in such a beautiful way. The other reason that the tears are kind of flowing, I'm wrestling inside because I'm thinking, I'm so sad that there's women out there that think that way. But also I'm wrestling because I've had experiences where I kind of feel them. I've been in environments where there's both men and women rep- present, but only the men are addressed. And it's kind of like I'm over here kind of going like this, like, hey, I'm here. I took all this time. Can, can I be part of the conversation, please? Can I have a seat at the table? And I've been in other environments where women aren't even welcome. And so my prayer today as I ask the ministry team to come up is that there would just be fresh insight into a way that God designed both male and female to represent his full image. And when we sell one short, if we think less of one than the other, his full glory is not represented here on the earth. And I at first want to extend this altar call to the women. If you've experienced some of this, if, you, if you're trying hard as a believer not to get an attitude, but you know you got one because you don't feel like you're noticed or you're seen or there's a place for you, to come up and get prayer because, you know, here at Heart of the City Church, we're going to try to do better in that area. We're going to try to make a place and find out what your gifting is and stir it up and release it because we need life in the city, amen? We need nurturing. We need comfort. I also want to extend an altar call to the men. And I I felt in my heart this check while I'm studying for this word. First of all, I did not want to come off like I'm up here shaking my fist and getting on a platform trying to say rah-rah women. Because I'm pro-women, I'm pro-men, I'm pro-children, I'm pro-image of God. I'm pro like God, you be glorified on the earth. But I felt like in particular, I just want to take a moment representing females. And I'd like to apologize to you guys for any woman that has not represented correctly 
the image of God in a female form. I know I've myself been hurt by women that have acted terribly outside of what God's called us to. And I just would ask that you would forgive us and you would give us another chance to show and fully represent and for you to believe that you can walk side by side with us and that you have giftings that we don't have and we have giftings you don't have. And together, we're gonna display the glory of God and we're gonna preach the gospel to the ends of the earth until every person has had a chance to know and receive Jesus. Amen.